Welcome to the Farm Team Podcast, presented by HockeyAI.tech. I'm your host, Elliot Sheen. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that this episode was recorded in Calgary, Alberta, on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Siksika, the Pekani, the Kainai, and we also acknowledge the Sutina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, the Métis Nation, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Thank you. In today's episode of the Farm Team Podcast, I'm honored to be joined by the head coach of the United States Hockey League, Chicago Steel, Brock Sheehan. Coach Brock and Steele capped off the 2020-2021 USHL seasons as winners of both the Anderson Cup, the Raiders season champs, and the Clark Cup playoff champs, beating the Fargo Force 3-1 in Game 4. In tandem with the team's success, the top four spots in league scoring race were held by members of the Steel, a first for the USHL. Born and raised in Lethbridge, Alberta, Brock played his minor hockey in the LAA system before heading west to join Kevin Higo on the Crows Pass Timberwolves of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Brock played one season in the AJ where he earned an academic and athletic scholarship to play for the NCAA Division I Notre Dame Fighting Irish of the CCHA. From 2004 to 2008, Brock played an incredible 161 career games and graduated from the program as the team's top defensive player and has remained one of the best defensive players to ever don the Clover jersey. Brock went on to play five professional seasons with time split between the ECHL, AHL, and Germany before retiring as a member of the ECHL's Ontario Reign in 2013. Immediately afterwards, Brock jumped straight into coaching and joined his alma mater as a volunteer assistant coach for a season, and then was hired on by the NCAA Division I Holy Cross Crusaders, where he spent four seasons as the assistant and associate head coach. This year, Brock will be entering his fourth season with the Steel and just recently signed a three-year extension to continue building and working towards being North America's pinnacle junior hockey program. Coach Brock joins us today to share his hockey story and give us some insights into how he has proven to be a winner in his early coaching career. And with that, Coach, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. That's a lot there. No, I appreciate the intro. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Like I said, you guys are coming off that uh, big championship. I think it was second Clark Cup championship in program history, but, uh, you know, it's a couple of weeks out of that. So how's it, how's it been so far for you? Yeah, it doesn't stop. You know, we're yeah. busy. Um, it, it's just the nature of the business. Uh, we won on Saturday and then yeah. drove back nine hours on Sunday and then we're in the office Monday and then our draft was Wednesday, Thursday. So, yeah. We're right back at it. Um, and then our camp was a week ago, our, our main camp. And then, uh, you know, out now for the next couple of weeks, back and forth between Chicago and Buffalo at the yeah. select 17s, uh, uh, 16s and 15s. And then I'll get a break for a little bit. So, Well, that's uh, nice. You got to kind of continue yeah. that momentum, just kind of you know, get looking forward to next season, kind of building off of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm excited for like, it's been an incredible three years here. Um, we lost in the Clark Cup final my first year. I, I was associate head coach. The next year, we were on a record-setting pace. We, I can't remember what our record was, but we had lost, I think, only seven games. And there's, I think there's 12 or 13 games left in the season, and we needed to win six of those to set a record for wins. I, we were on like a 13 or 14-game winning streak at the time. Um, and, you know, we didn't get to finish the season because of COVID, which everybody dealt with yeah. in the sports world. But it was really bizarre to, like, literally that day we had done a skill session. We were had our – it was our 1 o'clock meeting. We're preparing to play, uh, I think it was Youngstown – no, Green Bay. And that was it. We never saw those that group. That group was never together again. That's when the, the season got shut down. We sent guys home with yeah. – we didn't know if they could, were coming back or whatnot. 
Um, and then we're just very fortunate. A lot of young players didn't get to get a season last year. We we're able to have a season with our, with a new group of players, obviously some returning guys and yep. to win the Anderson cup again, which is hard to do. And then to do the Anderson cup, win the Anderson cup and the Clark cup, it doesn't happen very often in this league. Yeah. Uh, I think the last time it happened was like in 2012 or something like that. It, it's happened like a handful of times ever. So, uh, yeah, really proud of the guys and, you know, we just got to keep pushing. I actually like our group uh, for next year. We bring back a lot of forwards. We'll be the yep. youngest team in the league again, which we were last year. And uh, yeah, we do things a little bit differently. So it, it's worked out well. Yeah. That speaks volumes. If you're having the youngest team and having that kind of success, right. That means you're developing players that will definitely have an impact on wherever they go next, um, which mm-hmm. typically probably is the NCAA uh, coming out of the USHL. Uh, but in terms of the shutdown and then, so the message obviously you've shut down, no one knows, send everyone home. Um, but how did the USHL prepare for the the start of a potential season? Was it, did it start on time and did everything op- I was kind of asking like operationally, wise, uh, operational wise, uh, like what were the changes and how did it go for you guys? It didn't, it did not start on time. Um, this to me, this has been like the long. The, this has been the longest season I've ever been a part of because when our season ended yeah. last year, we were always working to try to come back and finish that season. Once that we knew that wasn't going to happen, the work started from like I was on a COVID committee with our team president to try to get a return to play in yeah. place. And the reason I think the USHL was able to play and other leagues struggled to play was first off where we're located with the United States. Also, a lot of the teams are in Midwest, Um, like other than us, which is uh, like a lot of them are in Republican states. Right. Um, And then the the other thing was we had a really good plan in place, a really good, like a really good return to play protocol, testing protocols, um, all that stuff was in place. And if it wasn't there, uh, like it'd just be the wild, wild west, right? Yeah. So like, we started a little bit later. We actually got our players in in September, which only a couple of weeks later than normal, but we had a long process of intake testing and getting used to the protocols. And then we started in November. We played a 54-game schedule. Not everybody played all their games. We did yeah. uh, in Chicago, but most teams, I think like 98% of the games were played on the season. It's incredible uh, and that speaks volumes for it, it, was, it was incredible and then playoffs nothing was missed in playoffs now by that time like half our team was vaccinated by that time yeah. um and staff so like things were but we still have all the protocols in place and it was just it was definitely a different year but it was more normal than other people are experiencing and i i think that it, i feel so happy that our players were able to uh, in the entire league were able to do what they did when everyone else had a very unique, different year. Yeah. Theirs was unique and different, but not that different. They got to come to the rink every day. They got to play games. They got to practice. They got to work out like they, yeah. they had as normal of a life as they could. And I think it will go a long way for those, those individuals where there's a lot of people that, you know, mentally, or it's just, it has been really hard for people for our group. It was, it was, it was, it was a great year. Yeah, I know that's it's encouraging to hear because you do hear nightmare stories about other teams and leagues that weren't able to do anything and they had no communication throughout the year. So it just kind of leaves guys hanging, right? And it breaks that yeah. natural rhythm of what a hockey season brings. So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's encouraging to know that you guys did have that development path. Do you guys have any players on the team that uh, had to go to school this year, like in high school? And like, what was that kind of experience like? For them? So, so our 
the ushl you know it, it can be a little bit older of a league at times i think we had 16 high school players most teams will have like jeez four yeah um you know so again we're built differently than than most teams um we had a wide range of things so we had most of our guys the way our program is set up do online school yeah the guy we have a lot of ivy league kids on our, our roster um traditionally they have to be brick and mortar but the ivy leagues waived that so they were able to do online we had kids that were able to stay in their prep school usually when they would come from prep school to play for us they would have to leave the prep school but we had kids going to like kua or kimball union um cushing academy they were literally in class in you know vermont and, and yeah. massachusetts but just on zoom in the back of the class and then we had some Minnesota high school kids that usually like, it's hard to get Minnesota high school kids to leave Minnesota high school. They were able to be in their Minnesota high school and, and play for us. Um, and then we had, actually, we had a, one of our, our best, one of our best players, if not our best player, Sean Farrell was literally a freshman at Harvard while playing for us. Going to school, taking classes already online well he was supposed to be a freshman at Harvard. oh i right? see okay yeah yeah and then he came back so the ushl this year was as good <laughs> as it's ever been because okay. there was teams a lot of ivy league like freshmen came back that had yeah. eligibility came back to the league you saw guys like cole sillinger from the medicine at tigers or like matt savoy from winnipeg whatever that team's called in the whl i don't know what they're called the blues um i i don't know i have no idea the but the, like we had western league players come down um, especially American kids that play in the Western League because they didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So they had kids make a decision to come down. Um, yeah, he had guys that decided to to not go into school that were supposed to be freshmen because of the uncertainty and just yeah. stayed and played in the USHL. So, so the league was as good as it's ever been last year. It was extremely competitive. As you were building your team, like how did you find out there's – like an appetite for some of these players to come down potentially to bring them into the program. And then how did you identify yeah, we that? We didn't, bring any, we didn't bring any of them in. We made no. a okay. conscious choice. We actually put a statement out that we will not bring any Western league players in other teams did. We stuck with the promises we had made to guys. The right. only guys that we came back were guys that played for us the previous year that played at, they were supposed to play for, uh, for like one was for Harvard. One was for Princeton. So yeah. we, we just kept them on our roster. Well, that's cool. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, let's get back into your experience. And I was going to ask you too, of when you made the jump from midget hockey to junior program, were you graduated by then or were you still taking? Yeah, I was graduated. Okay. I stayed throughout. I, yeah. So I played midget triple A yeah. and then went to junior played for the Surrey Eagles for a year in the BCHL and then for Crows and Staff Timberwolves in the Alberta junior league. So I played okay. my 18 and 19 year old year. And then went to school as a 20 year old, didn't play my 20 year old season. I see. Yeah, I was elite prospects. Uh, my yeah, they're mess, it's messing on If you go here, I'll talk to Peter yeah, and awesome. get that updated. Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So, I, yeah, what was the, uh, I kind of wanted to get into like how you relate your recruiting and getting guys like placements, like getting guys committed. I'm sure a lot of guys will come into your program already uh, on scholarships or potential places to go next, but the guys that aren't the younger guys, how do you kind of develop them and put them on radar of some of the recruiters? And then in comparison to kind of what you experienced uh, going through the Surrey Eagles and the Crow's Nest Pass, what that has kind of changed, that landscape has changed like since? It's honestly, honestly completely different. Like yeah. it's not even close. Um, so especially the, 
you got to like the USHL is a lot different than the other leagues. The USHL is the best league feeder system to um, to college, like by yeah. far. Yeah. So every one of our players will play Division One college hockey, unless they're ineligible. Yeah. That would be the only the only way that that they're not gonna play. Um, whether they played pro or they played major. Um, and for the vast majority of our players, except with a rule, there's a rule change recently. Like, so the 04, like if you're a junior right now in high school, they can't verbally commit. They've pushed it back. They tried to push it off. So like we have some 04s on our team and then 05s for next year that they can't make a decision um, until August 1, a verbal commitment. So that, that, that part, like, yeah, we can help with that. But yeah. until that decision was made, almost every single player that we had come play for us would already have a commitment before they play in the USHL. I see. That would so make sense. Like when I was, yeah. When, yeah. When I was playing, I went to the BCHL. Teams had talked to me. Teams would talk to me throughout the process in the BCHL. And then I went, went to, I got traded to Crow's Nest Pass. But they could make the decision when they thought I was ready. I was a physically underdeveloped player and they had time, you know, and they could, yeah, it, was, it was a longer recruiting process. There's no time now. Like they have to make these, they make these decisions early. They make mistakes because of it, schools. Um, and then, yeah, like it happens quick. It happens quick. It, it's interesting. And then some players get discouraged because they don't get committed. Yeah. But it, the, that, like what I talk to those players about is everyone's past different. Like there's a different, uh, there's just a different development line for everybody. Some guys, yep. it happens early. Some guys, it takes longer. So yeah, the vast majority of our guys don't go very long without being uncommitted. Now, that being said, we had two 20 year old defensemen on our team this year, which is rare for us to have 20 year olds on a team that did not have commitments until uh, like just before Christmas. So, yep. so that, that does happen. And, and they both ended up going to really good schools. One went to New Hampshire and one ended up going to Quinnipiac. So it's, it is interesting. And the other thing that has changed entirely, and I think a lot of Canadian families do not understand this, and when I was coaching in college, is like a, a full ride is very hard to come by. Like people think that, people think that like, yeah, my kid's going to school, right? Or he's going to college. He's got a division one scholarship and everyone automatically thinks 100% full ride. Full ride yeah. it, it's, it seems, there's different ways they build depth um, there's different things they do, but you know, unless you're like that big time player, like it, it is rare to get a full ride. Very rare. Yeah. Even at the big time schools yeah. and people don't get that. And they'll be like, Oh, you offered me 75%. And that 25% at a certain school might cost me 70 grand American a year. And you're like, what? Yeah. So it, it's, yeah, I do think it's now there's, there's certain schools have other avenues with financial aid or, um, you know, merit money, but it doesn't happen as often as, as people would think. How often, and you don't have to like give necessarily examples, but how often do you get guys that are committed to one program, but once you bring them in and they start developing, they might be a better option somewhere else. Like, are there, do you transfer a lot of guys yeah, in that sense? Is this so that now like the first nowadays, time they have Nowadays it happens that. a lot where the guy commits yeah. somewhere that never shows up to where he's going. Cause either he, he doesn't develop or now in our case, like looking at our, most of our guys, like the high, high percentage go to where they committed. Yeah. There's every now and then where a kid 
jump the gun early to a school that in like perceptually is not like a big time school and they become a big time player and then they open it up again and end up going to a big time school. That that's something that we try to, if a, if a player is committing somewhere, he, we, we try to let him tell him to be patient and make sure it's where he wants to go. Cause we don't like to get into those situations where they, they decommit. It's not even really yeah. a word or whatever, you know, but it does go both ways. Like schools will push kids off and kids will look to, to leave their commitment and go somewhere else where they think that, you know, they, they're, they're, they're better than that. They're better than yeah. this school. It, it's really, it, it can be a tough thing. A lot of it's perception. Yeah. A lot of it is ego, you know, when that happens. And then, yeah, the other piece, it, it's a different, it's a business. And I don't think people understand that, right. Hockey is a business. So schools are going to do what they need to do to get the best players for sure. And it's one of those situations too, where you can commit with one coach that might be, you know, two or three years in the program, but by the time you get there, he's gone already. Right. He so it's like, yeah. if you're recruiting to the coach or the, the program, that's, you got to weigh your options uh, as much as you can, but also too, at that age, like you can get a sales pitch, it's a good sales guy can come in and scoop you right up and make you commit. Right. So it, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but that's why I think having good leadership and good coaching that kind of guide them down those routes can yeah. save a lot of uh, kids career. So, um, so what is the, the USHL draft like in terms of um, who's available to be picked? Do you guys have zero reach come into Canada? Yeah, a lot. Like our, we have a good amount of Canadians. Um, on our roster and yeah you can so the way it works is there's a phase one and then a phase two draft and this can get a little confusing but phase phase one are first year draft eligible players so so this year it was 05 birth year and in the phase one draft you can only draft the 05 and there's 10 rounds now each team gets tenders that can take place of their first or second round pick so this season we tendered Jaden Perron he's from Winnipeg um he has to play for us. He has to play. I can't remember what it is, like 55% of the games. He's going to play in a lot more than that. Because if you tender a kid, it's usually a kid that you are really high on. He's, he's an elite player in your mind, and he's going to have an impact, if not in year one at, right away, at some point in year one. And by year year two or three, depending on what, where his birth year falls and where he is in school, yeah. like they're going to be top-end guys for you. So like our tenders – like Adam Fantilli was a tender uh, last year. Uh, Lo- local guy? No, he was supposed to, no, supposed to be number one overall in the OHL draft. Oops. He came and played for us instead of doing that. He ended up getting picked by Saginaw, like 18th overall. Yep. Um, and Jake Livinovich, kid from uh, Arizona, that was a potential – he was on the cusp of making the program. Um, he did not make it. We were surprised. We loved him and tendered him. So he's with us. Uh, before that, Ryan Ufko, who will get drafted this year, yeah. um, a, a New York kid. Um, I'm trying to think of before that, Robert Mastro Simone, a New, New York kid that ended up being a second round draft pick. Uh, Owen Power, who will go first yeah. overall in the draft. He was a, a futures uh, a futures pick, like a phase one draft pick, and then played for us immediately as a 15-year-old. So that's the way it works. And then phase two, you can draft anybody from the 05 birth year that first year eligible all the way up to 20 year olds that play anywhere outside of the ushl anywhere so some teams build through phase one some teams build through phase one and phase two some teams build through phase two we build through phase one 
So we, we are, if you look at our, our roster, it's filled with players from phase one picks two, three years ago. Some kids will play for us right away out of phase one or they're tendered. Some will play two years out. Some will play three years out, depending on where they're at physically. And then we supplement with phase two, but some teams really build in phase two yeah. uh, where they draft kids out of the BCHL, North American league, a kid from the national team that isn't going to school right away, European yeah. players. And, and yeah, you can draft Europeans or Canadians in the phase one section as well. So interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Oh, there's a lot that goes into it and there's different philosophies. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool to think like even, the USHL is probably not on the radar of a lot of kids in the Canadian leagues anyways. Um, but when they get drafted, it's probably the first time they've really maybe had communication with the team. Is that correct? Kind of yeah. That? Yeah. Yeah. To a certain point, like when we usually are, we have scouts in Canada, Europe, United States. Um, the kids that we draft are usually kids that we know are planning on playing college hockey or are exploring that route as far as like when we're talking about Canadian players. Yeah. Cause we, we drafted quite a few Canadians. There is a import rule is six imports, but two Canadians are free. There's four imports, but two Canadians are free. So you can get to six. Yeah. Um, and we usually are close to that limit. If not always at the limit, like we, yeah. we, we have for next year's roster, we will have six Canadians on the roster. How many do you guys carry total? What's the total allowed? 20, 25. 25. But then we have affiliates standard. that come in and out. and Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, most teams, they have a good amount of – like our goalie this year is from Slovakia. This year was different like the pre because it was hard to, because of COVID to get Europeans over. Yeah. So we only had the one. The year before, we had a Swedish goaltender and two Finns on the team, a Finnish forward and a fin, Finnish D. Um the league's full, like Muskegon had Daniel Gushin, Russian kid who signed with uh, San Jose. Unbelievable. Like, so there's, there's players from all over the world. Our roster is from Vancouver to LA to New York to Finland to Slovakia. Like our roster is full of players from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, Chicago Steel has quickly become, I would say, like I said in the, the intro, kind of that premier junior program. Like the USHL in recent years has probably established itself as the best feeder league into NCAA pro leagues, et cetera. So, um, you know, as you young in your coaching career, what's it been like to coach some of these high-end prospects? And how do you kind of see your development as a coach uh, paired with their development as a player? Because um, obviously you don't have too many opportunities and as a player and you got to kind of prime yourself for this pivotal moment. So uh, you're doing a hell of a job so far, but what have you kind of seen um, from your side? Yeah, from my side of it, it's about having the right people around you. Like our, our owner, Larry Robbins, he gives us the resources to do what we do. If it's not for him, we're not able to function at the level we do. Um, that's why we're able to get good people. Ryan Hardy, our general, well, former general manager, he just got hired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, it was kind of his vision, the way that our development model is set up and it's set up in a position with even him moving on it. We're in a, our foundation is there and it's a sustainable model with the way that it's set up. Um, and then our coaches were able to retain them and then we get the right players, get the right people. And obviously we've had success on the, on the ice and that it just kind of feeds into it. Um, but to me, it's just more about our, our day-to-day process, the way that we work day-to-day to get our players better. And I think the one thing that we do that's way different than 
almost anywhere, I think anywhere, is it's a player-first focus. And I, I don't think this season I said the word win one time. I'm not worried about us winning. I'm worried about how we're developing our players, um, as a team, how we're playing. But more so is each individual player developing at the rate they should, getting better in the areas they should. And if they do that, the team is going to, as a result of that process and that mindset, um, they're going to improve. Yep. Um, and and I, I, I truly believe that. that and, I, and we've seen it work. So, like, the, there is proof there. Yep. But that, that's, that's what I've learned as a coach that I think is different than any experience I've ever had. I feel like at every level, people say process focus, but really they always comes back to the results. And if you're not getting the results, they abandon ship, you know, and I feel like we've done a good job and and I can, yeah, people always say we win a lot, but our first year we were two and eight to start. Yeah. Two and eight. And we didn't, we got better in what we're doing. We didn't change what we're doing and we ended up losing in in the finals that year with a team that wasn't even close to as talented as the last two teams that we've had. Well, let me ask you that there then. Cause like to me as an early coach, there's probably a lot of doubt in your mind of, am I doing the right things? Like I want to do this. We're losing. This is shitty, but I want to stick with it. So what was that mentality of the guys like um, to, you know, kind of jump on board and buy into your system, even though it might not be getting success right off the bat, but just getting on board. Cause that's the most important part is the buy-in. Well, at that point, so I was associate head coach that year. Greg Moore was the head coach. He's now the head coach of the Toronto Marlies. And I remember we were sitting there when it was two and eight and we're like, like what because we had our style of play is a lot different it's very uh puck possession focused skill focused like i said our team is built differently in a league that's really hard to play in. that's really physical that has a lot of you know up and down uh really physical hockey and we're the we're physical but not in the traditional sense um and we 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 were like we just have to teach it better we have to we have to make sure that our details off the puck defensively are good. It'll enhance us offensively. And I thought we got a lot better there and, and we were, it enhanced our game. And I just, the other thing is we were picked like last place in the league. So we were kind of doing what people expected us to do, you know? So, and then we, it was just a, if we're going to get to where we want to get to, we need to continue to try to implement this, this style of play. And it takes longer. It just takes longer to play that way. Um, But when it, once once we started started getting it once i got i started getting it, it, it the momentum built built and built and, and and you could see it and i thought that i think no i know that that individual focus and the relationships that we build the staff it's, it's i think it's something we do really well the players feel that we're invested in them so regardless of what's happening on the ice they feel like they're getting better and if you're a player and you feel like you're getting better you're going to be all in yeah. I, it, it and that's what we noticed. And you can see they're like, oh man, like oh, my footwork's better here. I'm making better reads. I, I have a better feel for time and space. Like I'm, I'm, I'm playing more of a team, team game as opposed to a lot of one-on-one skilled hockey, which is what you see now because people yeah. train around implements like sticks and cones with their head down. They can't play hockey anymore, but they look good. Um, <laughs> exactly. It, that's a massive problem, by the way. Um, and, and then you got to like break that, which is hard to do. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they see it and, and it just kind of built and built. And then as an organization, we're aligned in the type of style of play that we want to play. And our scouts, uh, they, 
draft and recruit players that fit how we play as opposed to giving me some six foot four guy that can't think, but he can skate. Like that doesn't do me any good, you know, with our style of play. So it's all connected. Um, yeah. And then we have a development staff of our development staff is, is elite. We, we were partnered with Daryl Belfry and Adam Nicholas. These guys train the best hockey players in the world. In, yep. And, and, you know, when the players see that and they see the collaboration between the staff and our development staff, I, I think that they're like, they're all they, they're just all in and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And they have a lot of fun, you know, so sure. and we just keep getting better. Yeah. And that's one of the questions too, I wanted to ask you was, well, first of all, let me rephrase this. Uh, so last week I did the, N- uh, the NHL CA coaches conference. Um, and yep. on the Wednesday I was doing the breakout session and beforehand I was scrolling through and I saw you on there. So yep. I just wanted, uh, it was cool to see. And I kind of put, prepared me for this conversation of, you know, you guys win a championship and next thing you know, you're right back into this coaches conference and it's a relatively new thing. So you're trying to obviously learn the game um, as much as possible. But one of the takeaways I had was, you know, as you're coaching or as like minor hockey coaches are developing players, what are some of the most important things that you're looking for as a major junior coach or in your case, the USHL coach, but what are some of the things and tactics that a minor hockey coach should focus on in terms of developing players that when they come into your ranks, it's an easy transition for you? Yeah. Like I could care less if a player knows what a one, two, two is, or like, like I would, I would challenge coaches at that level, like, to avoid coaching systems and more like the, I think that players nowadays, their technical skill set is, is way better than when we were playing yeah. um, on the whole, like on the average, you know, like there's still guys that they, they can get become better skaters, but like the, their, their tool, the tools that players have from a physical standpoint are much better because just the, the way they train, but the way that players think the game and have like the ability to read off of teammates, the ability to make plays, that's that's what's lacking yeah and a lot of times i think they that there's a there you know so like down here i think they do a really good job of implementing small area games um of of making sure that guys are reading through time and space are, are able to read off of one another you know like i, I don't very rarely will you ever see like a cone or something like that on the ice for you know in anything we do but I think that's, that's, that's the biggest thing you want players that are the way I want players that are competitive, yeah. want players that can think and want players that are skilled and that I don't care about their size. I don't care about any of that. It's those three things. And the most important one is, can they think the game? And that's on both sides of the puck and it's not just going to stand somewhere yeah. or, you know what I mean? It's being able to read the game. And the, I do think you can enhance that. Um, and I do think you can improve it. People don't think you can. A lot of people don't, but I've learned that you can. Um, there's just a ceiling. What is certain players? What is yeah? Like how would you go about um, doing that? It kind of leads into the success that you yeah, have as a team of just like that we've seen guys like finally clicking that. Oh, this is how it feels, and this is how I'm doing it right, and I'm getting success. So is that kind of? I, I think it's it's, it's putting them in positions where like for a practice. I think youth hockey coaches want practice to look good. You know what I mean? It's like, they want practice. It's like, there's all this stuff on the ice and it it flows really nicely, but really like, is any of that applied to the game of hockey? Yeah. So a lot of stuff we do, there'll be constraints that make the players have to think through. Like they'll be put in positions that they're going to be in during a game. They have to problem solve and it could look bad 
for a little bit. But if you let the players use their brains, they'll be able to solve these problems and it's going to help them make plays under pressure. It's going to help them be aware of time and space. It's going to help them um, use their body to protect pucks, uh, to, to buy time to find the next play. These are all things that I think about the way that I traditionally practiced growing up. We very rarely did. Um, and a lot, you go watch a youth practice. It's just not, it's like a scripted practice. Now there's a time and a place for that, for certain things, but there needs to be, there needs to be, uh, there needs to be the, the, the time for the players to think and problem solve. And if that doesn't happen, they're only, if that's only happening in, in game setting, that's a problem. Is that as part of like the coach's duty, I guess, or the coach's job to, well, it probably would be, but, to you know, if something happens on the ice player comes off to sit them down to, you know, understand and walk them through like what happened basically. And the, cause the player's not never going to figure it out. And as a youth coach, you don't have, yes to have access no. to video. Yes and, and no. And yes yeah. and no. You have to help them through that, but they can problem solve things. Like they, especially if you're doing think like game, like games where they're, 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 they're live and they have to think through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can, you'll, you can see them or there's like a constraint in the game where it's like, players can exchange if this happens or if the puck moves from to the inside and then back out like that we're like it, that's the type of stuff so we are always doing different drills looking at different sports we've, we've generated a bunch of possession drills off of uh off of soccer drills that i've oh, yeah. looked at you know just thinking outside the box watching a hockey game and being like oh like that happens a lot in a hockey game maybe we can develop a drill that that puts our guys in that position and helps them problem solve that, you know? Yeah. So I think it's tough and youth, it's a tough in youth hockey. Like most of those people are volunteers. That's where it comes down to the federation to do a good job of training their coaches. So yeah. And that's, that's a different, that's a different topic. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a different topic. And it's encouraging though, because here in Alberta, um, I think there's about five organizations that actually have a, a player development person now paid through right. the association, which to me, I think it's yeah. huge. He goes actually uh, kind of leading the way, I guess, in Lethbridge uh, in that sense. So I did have a chance to talk to him and it seems like there's money in there to, with the teams and the associations to focus on, you know, development yeah. and outside the box thing. So it'll be cool to see kind of what uh, that brings uh, in terms yeah, of I talked to Kevin uh, during like the first the lockdown there with COVID for us. Yeah. And it, I thought that it was, it was really good to hear what they're trying to do. Um, yeah. I talked to your brother there. I, I think he, he talked to them as well. We both kind of did like little presentations for, for Lethbridge minor hockey about different things. And no, I think that the, the most important thing is, is that it, there's not like, there's, there's a better way to do things than was done in the past. That's for sure. And, and trying to push the envelope and, and focus especially at the younger levels more on the individual development of the player as opposed to the team like who cares about like yes competitiveness is huge but like yeah. at, the, at those young ages I, I don't think that it like the team part of it matters as much and that focus can as they get older yeah. it can it can be a focus but I just yeah yeah it's interesting know. to see because I'm sure parents would be bitching and moaning that you know, you've, you're not trying to win games necessarily, but, you know, you kind of have to find that fa- fine balance of helping kids develop and treat them equally and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting but to see. But they will win games at, and, in the end and if, the if they're getting better. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you, you put them in competitive environments throughout practice all the time. Yeah. So you're, you're breeding competitiveness. It's, it's extremely important. 
For but sure. like, who really cares if a six-year-old wins a hockey game or like a eight-year-old? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Some I, I, like, <laughs> there's times. There's times during our season at our level where I'm like, as a staff, we're going into this weekend, and I know that we've pushed our guys during the week. We're at a deficit, and we might lose those games, and that's okay because it yeah. might be okay for us to lose a game. You know, the reward of it's going it's through all that it's shit. A different yeah. approach. Yeah. That's sure. cool. Well, yeah, let's kind of talk about that uh, in terms of goal setting uh, individually and as a team. Um, what are some of the things that you walk your team through at the start of the year? You know, you know, everyone kind of goes through that weekend or whatever, where you have a team trip or something like that or a retreat. Um, I don't know if you guys have that opportunity or what you guys do as a team to come together, but how do you goal set for your team as a team and individuals? Yeah, I, we, I, we don't really set any goals other than the, the expectation is that our guys come to work every day and get better yeah. at something. And if they do that in the end, we'll, 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 we'll win. I, I honestly, we didn't talk about the Clark cup one time. Yeah. It's just assumed that that's the, the prize. Yeah, at the end that's of the, the journey, standard. Right? Yeah. Like they see everyone's they know that's what that. everyone knows that's what we're doing, but the focus is on getting better every day. And I think that, the relationships built we do team building stuff like whatever we'll do things together as a team is tougher this year with COVID I'll tell you that much like mini golf was a thing because we could be outside um couldn't usually we go to like a Cubs game at the start of the year uh, or take a trip somewhere it's just we couldn't do those things um but I think the day-to-day communication talk the way that we talk to our players being upfront and honest whether it's something they don't want to hear or they do want to hear I think that's the biggest thing. So they know that we have their best interest in, in, in our hearts and our minds and that we're, we, we care for them. And I think that they just, the way that we interact with our players, they get that and they get that feeling. And, and then that's where the true development comes because they trust us. And, yeah. and if, if we put something in front of them, they, they go after it, you know, wh- whatever it is. Uh, yeah. It's, it seems like that the junior ranks is very, very much like, you're kind of just, you're following along, I guess, in the first year, trying to figure out where you fit on that team. And so you're doing a lot of watching and learning and that kind of stuff. So it's about the the leadership of the team, the coaching staff, the leadership of the players, uh, to kind of set that example of mm-hmm. where this is where the bar is. And then it's on the individual to kind of rise to that occasion, I guess. So, yeah. And yeah, where we're at, we like, we keep, so like our team from last year, we had basically like our top six, seven forwards, our guys that were in a, a, a more depth role, they're t- super talented individuals. Those guys are going to get drafted out of that group. Um, but they, they kind of see how those guys do it. Then they get elevated. And then we bring in those other young guys. And like the guys that are leading the team are like draft eligible. They're not 20 year olds. <laughs> like they're, you know what I mean? Like they're, 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 they're young, but it, it, the expectation has been set and it just, we keep doing that. And that's when it goes back to, how we build our, how we build our draft too. But it's yeah. hard to do because you have to do a lot of work. You have to get the right kids. You have to, to make sure they fit your culture. Um, yeah. And sometimes make a decision where you, you take a player that other people don't, in a, in a, yeah, draft someone that other people are like, why are they drafting this guy? But we've done the research and we know what, we know why we're drafting them. Yeah. There's always going to be the diamonds that are overlooked yeah. for sure. Um, so what, like, obviously 
powerhouse team now, and you've sent a bunch of players out to Division One and NCAA. I'm sure even some of the guys you're coaching are now trickling into the pros. Uh, what have you kind of experienced in terms of the success those guys have had just watching them, but also feedback from some of their coaches? Are you getting good feedback? And are you as yeah. a coach getting, you know, doing the yeah, right thing? Yeah, I feel, yeah, like, like I watch Owen Power play in the World Championships for Canada, and I see the habits and details that we worked on him worked with him every day here are still a part of his game. You know, um, I look at the success, our guys from not this year's team, last year's team, the refreshment this year in college and how the prominent roles that every guy's playing. Like I look at the score scoreboard every night and I'm like, there's a steel player. There's yeah. a steel player. There's a steel player. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's nice to see because the, I, one of the biggest goals that as a staff that we have, yeah. is to create lasting habits for our players that that's lasting habits as people lasting habits as hockey players so that when they leave here they're going to be successful yeah. and whether they play the game for another 10 years or they're done after college you know um and i and, I, and when you the when you watch these games or i talk to these guys or i talk to nhl scouts or or staff from or college staff members and they're like you know your players is your players are elevating what we're doing here because yeah. of the way that they the way that they attack the game. Man, they love the game. Oh, what a great kid! You know, it's really good to hear that. And our scouting staff has done such a good job finding the right kids. If we don't have the right kids, like we can't push them to the level we push them. They have to love the game, and it's pretty cool hearing hearing that from 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 different people around the game. Yeah, it's cool. Just uh, probably for your experience of you know having that playing experience, moving right into coaching and you flip the, the card right over and you're back into it. Um, what do you have, like in terms of mentorship for yourself and coaching and that yeah. kind of stuff, who do you look up to as a coach? And um, are those NC or NHL CA conferences worth going to? And how do you kind of give back to the up and coming coaches in a way? Yeah, I, I think anytime you're doing like pro professional development, there's there's always a little tidbit you can take, even if some of it's just reassuring uh yeah reaffirming your your thought process or ideas that you had or you just you get new ideas and then you kind of go from there um I, I feel very fortunate like i i've had i've listened to brody's brody's podcast like i yeah. i had uh i had a great experience everywhere everywhere i went you know like yeah. i i enjoyed my time at in lethbridge and minor hockey like i feel like i had a great experience on every team that i played for even on some of the teams that weren't very good um and then you know in surrey we had a really good team mark hollick was a really good coach uh we lost in the conference finals i i thought even though crow's nest pass was like it was a hard hard place to to play kevin did a great job we made the playoffs for like the i think it was the first time ever before the team went uh bankrupt there and moved to okotoks um and and then my experience in college was was amazing you know yeah. Jeff Jackson, Paul Pooley, Andy Slaggart, I still, those guys are mentors of mine. I talk to them at least once a month, you know, um, and even though they might coach the game a little bit differently than I do at this very moment, I, I do a lot of things, learn a lot and do a lot of things that I learned from them. You know, it's, it's, and what they've done there is amazing. We won, oh, yeah. we won five games my freshman year with a different staff. And then by my our junior, my junior year, two years later, we are playing number one team in the, we're the number one team in the country and we've lost six games all year long, you know, like, yeah. and then we played in the national championship game my, my senior year, um, almost 
ended up losing to Boston College. But those guys, just seeing how they run a program, how the focus of of the of making sure that the program is at the highest level as possible, and just where it is, where they're at, it's pretty cool. And then any experience I had in pro hockey, I feel like has helped me. Yeah. Just all different types of styles of play. And you learn that it's not really, you, you learn what you like and what you, you believe in and you, and then you develop your um, vision and there really isn't one way to do it. You know, there's, there's just, there's a multitude of ways to do it. It's just getting your players to buy it. And that's and the then, big thing to buy it right there. Yeah. It's the big thing. And then having the right players, the right personnel to play the way you want to play. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool because when you play hockey and you watch hockey, you have the feel for the game and understanding. But now when it's coaching, like when I was asked to coach the PBWA team, I try to turn my coaching hat on. I'm like, I don't even know where to fucking start. Like, where to, how do I draw a practice plan up? Those kind of things, right? But I think – That's a lot, a lot harder than people think. Yeah, that, that's – For sure, that's, right? That's and for sure. Like showing up the first day prepared for these 13-year-old kids, 12, 13-year-old kids mm. is going to be a crazy thing. But I'm excited for it. I think, you know, once you're in the rink, that's you, you just become this different person. You, outside of the rink, you're one person. But once you're in there, it's a familiar ground. And um, you can kind of work your own w- way to coach and figure out your own style. So Yeah. Um, True yourself the- is one thing that I would say for a coach. Like, there's yeah. people that try to I, – I, I see this all the time. There's people that try to have, like, a persona or, like, almost emulate uh, – other successful coaches and i feel like that's the worst thing that any coach could ever do because I, I you should you would know this as a player you can read right through that yeah. like if you're you need to be genuine you need to be who you are as a coach like you still you got to hold your players accountable you have to you you need a commanding presence as a coach but you need to be yourself if you're not yourself yeah they read right through it and if players think you're fake like there's not a chance that they're buying in yeah, that's that's very true. It's hard to get the room back once you've lost it in that sense. Yeah, or you'll never get it. Or you'll never get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that's 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 in my thing. I'm just thinking about good coaches I've had, coaches that were not yeah successful, and then just thinking of how I've done. I think a lot of it has to do is the players, like they genuinely like I genuinely believe in what I'm saying because it's, yeah. it's truthful. It's 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 not made up. It's not fake. Exactly. Now trophies are coming, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, it must have been pretty cool too to be a shitty team when you joined Notre Dame. You know, you, you, the, the school itself is awesome and has a big name, mm-hmm. but if as a team it's getting shit on, but then you become number one in the country. So that process of going from like shit to being the number one powerhouse mm-hmm. team in the country, you probably learned a lot about yourself in that sense, but also understanding the team dynamics and how it, in order to do that, it's everyone on board. Yeah, it was when I made the decision to go to Notre Dame, they had made the tournament for the first time and they're a good team. They had like five guys sign NHL contracts. And then that next year we won like seven games or something like that. And we're the worst team in the country. And then we got a coaching staff change. Well, Andy Slaggart stayed on. Um, he's been there forever. He does a great job recruiting players. We had good players. Um, we lost, I think like 10 or 11 games by one goal that year. It was just like a, yeah. it, it just, and we just weren't, we weren't, we're not bought into everything that we needed to do. We we're not a cohesive unit. Um, and just what, we didn't really know what it took. And I, I thought coach Jackson, coach Pooley and, uh, and coach Slager, they really, like they set the standard for what Notre Dame hockey is. And, and the one thing that I'm proud of, and I know all of my really close friends still to this day, my best friends from school, 
is we bought in 100% to it and helped lay a foundation that's still there today. If you look at the success of the program. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's a proud thing as an alum uh, to look back and, and know that like the Compton Family Ice Arena isn't there without what, our, what we did as, as players, as teammates. Um, yeah. And we came close to getting it, to getting that national championship, but they've come close since. They, they just haven't got over the hump yet. They've had a ton of opportunities, but the consistency that that, that program's had goes back to that, that start with, yeah. uh, with our group. Yeah, I know they beat us in, uh, we made the tournament in 2011 and they ended up beating us in OT. Anders Lee. I know Anders Lee. Yeah, yeah, where he like jumped from the corner. He'd yeah. fallen in the corner yeah. and jumped and, and hit then, it. Like, yeah. 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 I remember I was coming back and our the centerman was coming around the net. And I just see Anders Lee jump from the corner. I was like, no fuck away. Yeah. Right through our goalie's leg. But They're that was incredible. You guys, cool. you guys had a great, great team. Yeah, it was a really good team. Yeah, but I, I I put that all on the coach too, and I thank all the coaches I've ever had for developing yeah. me as a player and a person because he was in the same boat where he got a team, head coach, shittiest team in pretty much the country, and then turned yeah. us around, turned us the right way. So uh, he got rug pulled out from under him uh, a few years later at Mer- Merrimack. Nobody, but yeah, that was unfortunate. That I, I'm sure you know why that happened with the yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, the, yeah, the booster and all that yeah. Stuff. Well, he was he was around when uh, we were coming in. It's it, they weren't really button heads yet, but once the money started flowing to the school and things are getting built, yeah. that's kind of when he kind of took priority on that, which is a shame. And and that's what goes back to one of the first things we talked about here was just how much of a business the sport is. Yeah, right. And, and, any, even, sport and any and any sport is right. If you don't have yeah. the money, like you just you can't do certain things. It's that's why it's probably daunting as a coach and just GM in general and professional sports. But you know, I did in the email I wrote down just takes a, a special family to want to be able to support their, um, you know, father or mother in a coaching role. So it's probably awesome having a family that allows you to do that and um, is ready to go to bat with you. It's it, it's it's necessary for anyone that wants to be in in sports, professional sports, whatever, college, junior, um, like a long year and I'm in Buffalo right now. You know what I mean? So, uh, and being ready to move at any moment. Yes. And Ashley, my wife, you know, she's been, we've been together since my freshman year in college. So she knows what it's all about with hockey. But once you have kids involved, it, it makes it even more difficult. And if you don't have that support system and you don't have, if you're not a, a true partnership and a true team as a couple, like, and someone's resentful and not, I've yeah. seen it. Guys have to get out or, or vice versa. If it's a woman coaching, like they have to get out of the business, you know? Yeah. Um, because it is, it is stressful. But I think the one thing that my wife knows is I love the game of hockey and yeah. it, you know, it, it makes our life, it makes our life better because I'm a pretty happy person being at the rink every day. You know, like I, I actually, I love what I do, you know? And and you can generally, she can see that. I think the kids know it. And it's, it's, it's all good in the end. Yeah. It's like with everything. It's if you're genuinely passionate about it, your success yeah. will come, but it's about developing yourself on a daily basis, even as a coach too. Right. So uh, yeah. I guess kind of lastly too, uh, one of the things, um, you know, that hockey can do is provide you with experiences and you go and have all these crazy experiences who, you know, you put yourself in the 10 year old Brock shoes. You would have no idea that hockey would take you to where it is taking you. Um, And one of the things is it's hard to get back to where like going back to Lethbridge for you now would not probably be a a situation unless there was family or an opportunity there. Um, But you know, it's 
connecting with those programs that you've went through uh, to really kind of give back. So I know Higo and a lot of the coaches there that you've had a chance to speak with um, do appreciate that kind of stuff. So um, what is it important to you to kind of give back in that sense and have that relationship and help those volunteer coaches? Yeah. Like when, when Kevin reached out to me, I was more than happy to, to help out, you know, the coaches there in Lethbridge and, I don't get back there very often anymore. Well, not right now. I haven't yeah. seen anybody in over two years or whatever, like two years, two Christmases ago. Um, but no, I, I, I feel very fortunate to be, to have been a part of unbelievable organizations and just have that support it, without good people around you or when you're growing up or developing as a player in junior and college, you're not going to get to where you, where, where you would like to get to, you know, and I feel very fortunate for that. And yeah, we've had had great experiences. Lived all over Canada, the U.S., and even in Germany. And yeah, it's been very, very, very lucky. And hopefully, I can continue to be in hockey for for a long time. For sure. I guess lastly, who were some of the guys that you did play with um, growing up in Lethbridge? Yeah, so that was Lethbridge. Um, I don't think we had many guys really move on from my age. You know, um, like Rick Rippin is yeah. not from Lethbridge, but you know, um, we played growing up together. Um, Liam Huchelak, who lives down in California now, he played at Colgate. Um, but from the 84 group, like Logan Lavarado, Tom wow. Snell, like those are the guys that, that I played a lot with growing up as kids. And yeah, I, I think from, from the 84 birth year, I don't know many. how many guys played past minor hockey. I, I'd have to really look at it. Yeah, it's cool to, looking at that, um, the Crow's Nest lineup that you guys had. It was like Lav was there, Judd was there, Ev was there, yeah. the, Boyle, the Boyles yeah, were there. Yeah, those guys are younger. Yeah, like those guys are younger, right? Those are yeah. like more like – because like uh, Boyle was there. Yeah, Blackwater was there. Your brother was yeah. there. Um, I played – I'm trying to think of who else from Lethbridge, like Brad Swamp. Like there was a whole bunch of yeah. Lethbridge guys on that on that team. Uh, Tim Callahan. Yeah. Um, Tyler Stella's from Crow's Nest area. You know, those are the guys on that team. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how many, I, I don't know how many guys I'll that I grew you. up with moved, like played that long after. I think they played like university hockey and stuff like yeah. that. And, and I, I don't know how many guys played pro after um, in the 83, 84, 85 kind of birth years. Um, yeah. There wasn't, that, there wasn't too, too many. I don't talking think. to Steger, it was like he was thinking back to his Bantam AAA year. And I think there was like yeah. three guys that went to the NHL and like nine guys total that yeah. moved on past. Yeah, that's like Brody and Everett and Chris and Clint Cameron, like Yellowhorn, all the like that group. Like there's a bunch of those guys that played yeah. significant levels of hockey and, and played for a long time. Still going. But, yeah, still playing, you know. Um, yeah, more, more of like our age group. They didn't. There, there's a lot of talent there, but it, you know, I think that some guys got burnt out, and yeah. some guys that I, were really talented, they just. If you don't, I said this. If you don't love the game, you're not going to get better. You know, regardless yeah. of how, what your physical tools are or, or your talent level. Like, yeah, especially nowadays with how much guys like burn to be players. I think it's they 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 do a lot, and they can get burnt out that's yeah it was in our conversation for another day that burnout atmosphere and i just can imagine like with this stress with covid was put on the 
really to like 2000 to 05s, like that age group, it's going to be yeah. a lot of looking in the mirror. What should I do kind of thing? So my, my advice would just be keep going and keep trying to play because hockey has been the yeah. best happened to me. Yeah. I think that there's, it, it's really too, there's going to be guys, especially the college route player. Well, even I think about some of the guys that basically missed the year of major junior, like those 20 year olds yeah. that maybe get a contract or maybe, you know, get an American league deal or something like that. They missed, especially kids in the OHL, they missed out on that, right? So now if I'm those kids, like they play Canadian University, it's an unbelievable level and yeah. you can move on from there. There's guys that move on from there. Um, but like I look at this, so like in the NCAA, anyone that played college this year gets another year of eligibility. Yeah. So it's pushed guys back and the 2000 birth year guys that get like some late scholarships or partials or get to go to school – a lot of those guys are missed out on that because teams are bringing back a, a, a senior that, yeah. to their roster. They can bring them back if they have grad school, if, if, they, if, they're, if they're creative, you know, some schools can't. Um, and then uh, some guys got pushed back, like some O1s got pushed back to junior again. Like this is going to affect the landscape for the next three years. What's the birth year that gets affected the most, do you think? I think the 2000 because – there's kids that just will never play division one college hockey Yeah, that maybe now go play division three. And then there's kids that would have played division three that now go play club, you know? Yeah. That, that trickle down effect. Well, it's, it's, even, like it, it, it's, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. There's going to be more old ones in junior hockey, like back. Like we won't, I, we will have maybe one old one on our roster next year, but yeah. everyone else will have the max and they'll have their, their four guys and there'll be more, O2s that would have gone into college that aren't going into college. Our guys, yeah. most of our guys still went in on time, but um, yeah, it, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and to sure. see what happens with the transfer. Like if you get into a D3 school, it's like, maybe I could play myself to a D1 school if that's the plan. Right? Yeah. The transfer portal is a whole, like we can talk about that for like an hour. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's, it's really changed the landscape of college hockey. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Awesome, Brock. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, yeah. And congrats again on the successful year. And I'm sure you guys will continue that down in uh, Aurora. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can keep, keep going. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate yeah. uh, you being asked to be on this. I hope uh, anything I said was helpful. You know, for people oh, listening. Always is. I'm sure even some of the guys that we were talking about on the pod would like to hear some of the stories. So it's cool that we were able to have this combo. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Awesome, Rock. Take care. Talk soon. All right. Bye-bye.